Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. And gentlemen, welcome back to the Material Devolution Podcast. It's 2016, a new year, a new day. So happy to be here with you. Matt Walter, pleasure to see you, my friend. How are you doing? Yes, pleasure to see you. We haven't seen each other in a long time. You were over in Southeast Asia, right? Thailand? I was traversing Thailand for a few weeks uh, over the holidays. Quite the adventure. Let's leave that for an off-the-podcast discussion. There we go. I will respect that. And it is a new year, 2016, the first edition of the Material Devolution podcast in the new year. And we have some really good stories. We're going to tackle two topics today. Yeah, yeah, we've got some very interesting stories to topic, you know, uh, because of the holidays, I think our last podcast was like November, I think we did last year, so we might have taken a whole month off, Man, but uh, yeah, it feels like a whole month, I think, Woo. not a lot going on, I know there was like that UFC fight, uh, Jesus, a couple Joe, of UFC the, fights, but the Jose Aldo fight specifically, the, <laughs> the, the heartbreaker, the sniper shot from heaven, I think I still owe $40 McG. for that fight, yeah, you do, <laughs> But uh, it cost me a lot more, friend. But uh, I know, like, we're like, we couldn't do it the week before, and then there's the UFC, and then I'm going to Asia, so we're like, no December. So this is actually like an eight-week break we took. I, I think it's the longest break we've taken since we started the podcast. So that means we're all new. our fans must be fiending right now. All six of them, if there even are that many. So we're new, we're fresh, we're revitalized. Uh, you know, my travels gave me a lot of fresh perspective and inspiration to just get things going. This is actually going to be the last edition probably, of the Material Devolution podcast at the 221 studio here in San Diego. Matt Walter is now a homeowner. We're going to be moving the studio into his uh, office slash guest bedroom slash recording studio. So uh, we're going to be setting up shop, getting some soundboards, improve the quality. I expect a year with uh, more guests, more topics, more fun discussions. I mean, I, I think we've got a good flow and we're pretty, pretty comfortable in this process, Matt. I can't wait to have another great year of conversations. Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, you know, we got the format down. We kind of know a little bit more what we're doing in our uh, sophomore year. Um, got some great uh, connections that we can bring in, uh, some interesting topics that we can tackle throughout the year. And I look forward to mixing it up a little bit, you know, covering these stories and then, and then interviewing some people and learning some more about their lives and the things that they're into uh, and, and what they're doing to, uh, to enhance the world as well. It's going to be fun, man. So let's start it off with... Uh you know, a pair of stories for today, and the theme of topic for the day is state of emergency. So we're going to be discussing first the Flint water crisis, and then second, we're going to be discussing the LA methane leak. So first, for the uh, LA water crisis, I'm just going to give a little refresher in the timeline of events, because this has actually been going on since 2014. It's just, it's become more prevalent in the news over the last few months because everything that was getting swept under the table is finally coming out. So why don't I give a little rundown for our uh, listeners, Matt, so if they aren't too tuned in the story, they'll kind of know the framework, and then you and me can dive into the nitty-gritty. There you Sounds go. Sounds good, right? Fill them in. So yeah, in 2014, uh, the city of Flint, Michigan, 
they agreed to stop buying water from Detroit, which is where they were getting their water from. It was a Detroit water treatment uh, plant, I think, out of Lake Huron. And they inked a deal to join a new water authority to get water from Lake Huron in order to save millions. I think it was like an emergency state financial planner because, I mean, lots of places in Michigan bankrupt. Detroit, right, like, right. An know, emergency manager is what they call him, and uh, his name was Darnell Early. Exactly. Great, great little you know keynote fact there. So Detroit agreed to stop selling Flint water in a year. That was like inked in the agreement. In a year, we're going to stop selling you water. And the reason for this was Detroit was kind of playing hardball, apparently, on the water project because they're bankrupt. So they wanted to lock them into a long-term deal and increase the rates. And Flint's trying to save money, so this looked like a good stopgap. Hey, we can save some money. But the problem is it was going to take almost three years for the new water treatment facility to be set up. So in the meantime, they switched to getting water from a local Flint River. And people immediately complained about this. You know, they said it tasted funny, it looked funny, but the state environmental board claimed that it met the water standards. Now what's interesting is this towards the end of the year, a GM plant in Flint refused to use the water they were getting, this is this river water, because it was rusting car parts. <laughs> So the city of Flint arranged for the company to tap into a different water source while retaining the old water source for residents. Yikes. So the GM plant was like, hey, this water is so toxic, it's rusting our shit. We're going to get you guys new water. Hey, people who are drinking it, no don't, don't worry about it. It's meeting safety standards. <clears throat> that took us into 2015 where the city announced that the water early on was in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act. But officials told residents that if you have a normal immune system, you have nothing to worry about. So it's not meeting the Safe Drinking Water Act, but it's safe to drink, was kind of the modus operandi of the city, which is so counterintuitive, you know, it makes your mind go scanner style poof. Right after then, activists filed suit to make the city stop using river water. After that, the EPA water expert actually sent a memo to their bosses about Flint's failure to stop lead contamination. And this wasn't made public until weeks later, the ACLU got a leaked copy of it. So it's like behind the schemes, people know there's a problem, but nobody's doing anything about it. You know, you're, you basically have activists trying to force something to happen. So it appears that like the health department was systematically lying to federal regulators and its citizens about the water quality. I mean, at one point, uh, this is in my notes here, the city paid a consultant $40,000 and the consultant findings were, well, the water might be discolored or have sediment in it, but it's safe to drink. Here's your $40,000. Have a nice day. He must be completely unbiased. Mm -hmm. So to start this year, uh, at the end of the year, the governor actually announced that the state was going to test the lead in schools and they'd buy water filters. And within a few weeks of that, they decided they needed to switch the water back to Detroit, costing them $6 million. So this isn't exactly a money-saving expenditure. No. So to start this year now, things have gotten further. State of emergency declared in Flint. Uh, you know, the, Michi uh, the Michigan Attorney General, he opened an investigation into the water crisis, which legislators pointed out they'd asked him to do three months earlier, but were rebuffed on. And Obama actually signed an emergency declaration recently to order federal aid for Flint. So there's so much craziness going on in this story. But uh, it's just pretty unbelievable how things have progressed. And I mean, I think the thing that really blew it up was you had people like Michael Moore, love him or hate him, blowing it up that the fact that, you know, 
like he called this genocide because Flint's a predominantly black, poor city. It's like 41% at or below the poverty level and like 60, 70% black. So why, how come when this city was complaining and trying to get stuff done, nothing happened until it was like a catastrophe? Mm -hmm. Well, it's like you said, you know, that, that Detroit in Michigan in general has been known for some time to be bankrupt or having financial troubles. And to talk on that point that you were talking about genocide, from 2013 and 14, 52% of African American residents lived under emergency management while only 2% of white communities lived under emergency management. Now, it doesn't, you, you might ask yourself, what is emergency manager? Who what was that first percent? It was 52% of African American 52 residents. 52 to 2? 52 to 2. So it's 26 times as high. Exactly. Must not be a statistical anomaly then, something tells me. Yes. No, I don't think so. So emergency managers, like I was saying, if you're asking yourself, what is an emergency manager? So what it is, is an unelected official that is appointed by the governor um, to run financially troubled cities, basically. They come in and they have sweeping powers in Michigan, sweeping powers in Michigan. Basically, in Michigan, emergency managers can break down union contracts, shut down the fire department, dissolve public school systems, uh, and as in Flint, switch a water supply. So these people pretty much have absolute power, run of the city. Um, and the decisions that they make obviously have ramifications. I mean, they, 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 are, they are decisions that can impact the entire community for a long period of time. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's like, you say this person is given absolute power, and it's like no one deserves absolute power. But to be fair and play devil's advocate, the reason this person's even put into place is that the city's at risk of insolvency usually. It's like bankrupt, it's got a deficit, it doesn't know where it's going to get money to fund programs. You don't have time to elect people and have a council meeting and a vote to make these decisions. It's literally like we need to appoint somebody who can cut through the red tape and make things happen before we fall off the cliff, mm -hmm. because we're walking off the cliff right now. Right. So you're, you're, you're basically, through mismanagement of the elected officials, you're led to this point where the elected officials are like, look, we've got a gun to our head, we need to point it at somebody else's head. Hey, emergency appointed manager, fix this for us. Right. You're the idea the idea is a good one, as, as many are, right? You, you need to break through the, the, the bureaucracy, you need to get things done, you need to do it right now. Um, <clears throat> you know, like most things, perfect in concept, but not execution. Right. And the city council, obviously, at this point, has mismanaged whatever they were supposed to manage. And, 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 and now it is in the state for this emergency manager to come in and actually rectify the situation. But in this case, they ignored pretty much any common sense. Because what I've, what I've gathered is, is that the Flint, the Flint River was known to be corrosive prior to this shift even happening. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was, it was known to not be safe, and I mean, when people ask, like, well, what exactly happened that made it unsafe? It actually had a dangerous increase in lead in the water supply. They said that uh, the safe amount's five parts per billion. That's the the recommended level. And when they tested Detroit, Detroit's water supply through the lake, uh, it was like two point three. But five is like this is where it's starting to get like a little a little skippy. Mm -hmm. They said it was twenty five in Flint, five times the recommended breaking point. So, you know, if anyone knows anything about lead contamination in water, it can do crazy things oh, yeah. to your nervous system, your immune system. Especially children, young especially children, children are pregnant rest. mothers. 
They definitely at risk. So I mean, this is like the water they're giving to kids in school. Well, yeah, and I got a stat here too about this, and and we're gonna throw some stats at you because I think it's really, really important to really get to the substance and the meat of this conversation. We're talking about families. We're talking about low-income families that don't have the means to reach out and get help that they need when they have these um, pub these health issues. Uh, you know, as far as uh, they're, they're, they're just confused. You know, they're being told one thing, but they're experiencing another. Um, but children under five um, with elevated uh, lead in their blood doubled after the switch um, to the Flint River. I mean, it's crazy. Officials insisted for over a year that it was safe to drink. Meanwhile, they were telling GM, hey, you, you, it's rusting your cars. We'll give you guys different water. Kids in school, go ahead. It's safe. Hey, here's a consultant. Here's forty grand. He yeah. said he said it's safe. Go ahead and drink it. Right. They said that it was so that it was so corrosive um, that not here. Here's the other. Here's the other thing. Not only did they go from the clean water to the dangerous water, but they stopped using the co corrosion control um, that basically keeps that helps keep the biofilm like inside the pipes mm -hmm. and so the corrosive water was actually broke down the biofilm that keeps the keeps it away from the pipes and it was actually breaking down the pipes and that's why it's copper and lead poisoning um that is happening to these people and it basically ruined the service pipes of the houses and all the houses in the pipes and, the, and, and all the pipes in the houses now uh are still damaged because they ran this water for so long yeah, I mean, it highlights a big problem in this country, which is just we don't invest in infrastructure. We invest in munitions because guess what? It's a lot easier for people to make money on the backside of building a tank than it is on rebuilding a bridge or rebuilding, let's say, like a water system. There's actually back-end money you can make on that for sure, mm -hmm. but just not as much. And it doesn't create jobs. You know, right. it, it just helps an existing infrastructure that exists. So a lot of times fixing that stuff, especially if it's being privately maintained, there's no incentive to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, let's wait until something breaks before we fix it. Because mm -hmm. what's our incentive to prevent it from breaking? Outside of keeping our revenue flow going, there's no incentive. So it's like, until it hits the fan, let's keep things spinning. Mm -hmm. I actually read that uh, it's estimated that it could cost $60 million to replace the aging pipes and fix the infrastructure. And it could take up to 15 years. Well, it's a long project. I mean, you got to dig up all that stuff. You got to get it out of there. You got to shut the water down. You got to re reroute it somewhere else while you're while you're working on that area. It it seems like a large undertaking to me. It's not. This ain't a small town. No, it's just a city of like a hundred thousand people. It just makes you think, right, of how much uh, infrastructure. I mean, we always hear our politicians talk about crumbling infrastructure, crumbling infrastructure. Well, this is a this this is an example of that crumbling infrastructure. Now, this is obviously caused by a man-made decision uh, that is just the most atrocious uh, decision ever to know that this happened. You know, But we have these problems um, of infrastructure crumbling around us in the United States. We have not touched uh, or spent enough time working and spending dollars inside this country uh, over the last, I don't know, three decades. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of, like, value to be gained. Like, you know, you make the water treatment facility cleaner, and that's great for everyone's health, but how does that make the person who is controlling the money any money? Right. If they can't figure that equation out, they've got very little incentive to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there really needs to be more outcry from the public about this issue, about, like, how we're managing our budget, where our money's being spent. Right. 
you know, like our focus needs to really be on like improving and strengthening our own position in the world before we should tell everyone else, hey, this is what your politics should be, this is what your country should look like, this is the type of lifestyle you should lead. Like everyone says, get your own shit in check first. Make sure, hey, when, when homelessness is, is zero and everyone's got a job and we've eliminated these problems, now's a good time then to start telling everyone else what to do. Right. Keep doing the good work and the charity and all that stuff, but don't tell other people this is what they should do when you yourself aren't doing it. It's like the hypocrisy basically undermines you at the outset, right? Definitely. And if I wanted to be a leader in the world, like how do you be a leader in the world? Well, show people by example that like, if you went with, when you put your, your very best into building your country and we're talking about building our nation and, and I'm and I'm talking about innovative ideas. I'm talking about getting off of fossil fuels. I'm talking about all these things that we can go. We have not reached the pinnacle of our existence yet and sometimes we act like we have. Like we know everything because science is so great and we've reached out to the freaking billions of miles away in, in the in the in the atmosphere and the I mean in the universe and seen stars that we've never even seen before and this, that and the other. And it feels like yes, we wow, we're at, you know, this is amazing. We're so enlightened and this and that. But the fact of the matter is is that we don't work on we we're not there. And so quit acting like we're there. We can always push the envelope forward. We can always look towards the future. And, and, what, and what's the best way is to spend it, spend the dollars inside the United States. Make everybody like excited about what we have going on. You know, we go into these cities and inner cities and things like that and you see it all the time. You know, poor, things are falling apart, you know, concrete's falling off this or that. So is it any surprise that people in charge of taking care of these areas take the same approach as how these areas have always been treated? Like, what's their incentive to be like, we need to invest a ton of money and hyper accelerate. It's like, no, it's a dilapidated, dying area. We're just going to keep the wheels churning. we got to keep things spinning until it's yeah, the Yeah, the bare minimum, the bare minimum. We'll get them water. It might not be clean water, but we'll get it to them. And, and, if, uh, and, if, and, if, and if, if it isn't clean, you know, we're going to tell you it's clean, tell you make us, show us and prove to us it's not clean, and then we're going to blame each other. Right. I think let's get back to that point. You know... No responsibility taken by no anybody. No responsibility taken by anybody. Only they knew about this over and over again. There was actually a study done in Virginia Tech um, by, that that proved the water to be um, to be contaminated and have problems. And that is what had started the EPA to even look into it. I don't have the details on that, but I do know that Virginia Tech, um, there was an advocate in the uh, Flint area. They ended up having some studies done at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech released the, their report, their findings, and then all of a sudden things started to get rolling a little bit here. But we're talking about nine months later. And the other thing that I really want to talk about, I want people to understand is this story, this story was on December, December 14th is when the um, mayor, Karen Weaver, uh, declared a state of emergency. And when did you hear about it? From the mass media in the United States. January. January. A month later. A month later they started calling. I was in Thailand. You were. But I was talking to somebody just a couple weeks ago and they didn't hear anything about it either. And so it leaked out slowly through some internet websites, uh, some radio shows, Democracy Now!, something like that. But it didn't catch traction until after the holidays, somewhere in the middle of January. And to me, 
That's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? As soon as somebody in the in the major media outlet got a hold of this thing, this should have been an outcry. They should have been freaking knocking down the doors of the White House and Congress saying, what the hell are you doing to your citizens or allowing to happen in the states that you're supposedly governed? And we always talk about what are our officials supposed to do? Keep America safe. Keep America safe. You hear it in the presidential race over and over and over again, mostly on the right. But if you really want to keep American citizens safe, how about not pumping freaking corrosive water into their home? Very true. We're very short-sighted as a culture and like our perception of what's important. You think the word state of emergency, would it be like, hey, let's all focus on this for a little because we just heard the word emergency and state of. And when those are put together, that usually means like it could kill a bunch of people. That's pretty important. But mm -hmm. the news cares way more about what's going to get clicks. I mean, Kim Kardashian's ass or Justin Bieber's new haircut or what NFL team's going to make the playoffs, all these things. That gets eyeballs. People just really don't care. If you don't live in Flint and you hear state of emergency declared in Flint, you're like, well, I don't live in Flint. Yeah. You're like, sucks for those poor people up I, there. I don't, I don't even live in Michigan. Maybe if you're in Michigan, you're like, well, this is important because we're near Flint. If you're not in Michigan, the attitude's generally like, well, that's really shitty for them. Let's send them some water bottles. But like, it's not happening here. How do you know it's not happening here? Exactly. Exactly. Because how long did this go on? Years. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, like you're talking about, about culpability. It's funny, it's like, the city is going to blame the emergency manager, who's going to blame the state regulators, who's going to blame the federal regulators, who in turn is going to circle back and blame the city. So you've got this, uh, you know, loop, mm -hmm. so to speak, that endlessly spins, where nobody's ever taken responsibility, you just keep blaming each other until people forget about what you're talking about in the first place. So far, the only person who's lost their job was that uh, the EPA had a regional administrator fall on her sword, but they still haven't admitted any wrongdoing. So they're trying to just like shift the blame essentially, and nobody wants to take responsibility. There's been a class action lawsuit filed versus the governor and 13 city and state officials by four families, I think, from Flint. And it's like, that's the only way you can hold these people responsible is to sue them, because the only thing they know and care about is money. So that'll get their attention. Right. Class action lawsuit. Class action. Tell me, let me, let me take your money. And now all of a sudden, okay, well, this is a problem. We got to do something about this right now. Well, hey, it's about money. It was about money in the first place. So now we just circled all the way back to the root of the problem, right? The money. Nobody does anything. Money makes you take action, and money makes you actually start to pay attention to something. Hey, we're broke because we can't manage our money. So let's hire this other person to save us money. He doesn't know how to manage his money. So it's going to cost us even more money to fix the money we were trying to save in the first place. But remember, nobody's the fault. Nobody's at fault. It was, you know, it was all with the best of intentions. Everything right. was completely above board. Mm -hmm. You know, you know. And we had the best interests of the citizens at heart. Oh, of course. That's why we paid a consultant forty thousand dollars to tell you it was safe when studies prove it wasn't. I know, crazy. I was listening to a uh, actually to Democracy Now, a uh, little snippet today. Uh, it was uh, talking about this, and and one of the mothers in the area was saying that. Uh, they knew something was wrong because the, the water would change uh, over this, the course of this time. Now, this is from April 2014 um, is when they, uh, when they switched it. And she said that it would go from, like, bright blue to, like, yellow, and then it would, like, smell like a, like a pool. And um, You don't want your water to look like the colors of the rainbow? <laughs> God dang. Can you imagine turning on your tab as some blue water come out? I mean, like, water's blue, right? We all, okay, we look at the water, and because the sky is blue, blah, blah. No, but this is freaking some blue water. 
Yeah, water's not really blue. Comes out looking like a Skittle. Hey, hey, put water in a glass and look at it. What color is it? It's clear. It's clear, not blue. And yeah, like you said, if the sunlight reflecting off the ocean makes it blue, it's not blue. <laughs> it's not blue. Okay. Um, but it causes like rashes, hair loss, lesions. Um, she said that her son had fallen off her bike. So you can get lead. Lead poisoning when it gets really bad gets into your bones. Um, and it like hangs out there like in the marrow. And it can make your bones really brittle. They said that she said her her son fell off of his bike and basically shattered his wrist so terribly uh, that people were kind of in awe about how how bad and severe the injury was. Um, but it was because of, they've been poisoned with lead for like the last year. So it's basically like weakened his his bone structure. bone structure. Yeah. That's a serious physiological damage being done yeah. here, right there. Well, not only that, I mean, you have cognitive impairment too. So. Um, she was talking about that uh, her son actually like had skipped a grade before, and now he's like struggling in the in the class. And now some of this stuff is a little bit uh, subjective, right? You know, you're, it's a little relative. Like if he skipped a grade and now he's struggling, and that, you know, maybe he should, you know, if he should have been in fourth grade and now he's in sixth grade, <laughs> so um, or fifth should have been in fifth and now he's in sixth, and, and and so there's some things there that need to be. Uh, taken into consideration, uh, obviously, but we do know that lead does cause uh, cognitive impairment and uh, also physiological um, impairment and uh, is not good for anybody. Yeah, I mean, just uh, as a capping off point, this also highlights problems with bureaucracies and how they interact with each other because the city was interacting with the state, which was interacting with the EPA in order to try to look into this and get it handled, but there were so many delays and disputes that Basically, the public was kept in the dark while the regulators tried to figure it out. So, like, I think it's the uh, Department of Environmental Quality. It's like a state-run department. They were actually in a six-month dispute with uh, the EPA over how it interpreted water treatment under the EPA regulations. So it's like, this is what the standards need to be. And they're like, no, they don't because this is why. Well, let's have some lawyers talk about it and get paid money about it for six months instead of doing something to help the people who are being so poisoned. So they're sitting here and they're wrestling over this, and the whole time the water's still flowing freely from the Flint River to the Flint residents. And this is the problem, the regulation and how it should be regulated and what the, and what the uh, standards are. That's what they're arguing over. Not the fact whether it is or isn't, but what the standards of regulation should be. It's tough to know what really truly went wrong here. Was it pure cronyism? Was it the faults of too much bureaucratic, you know, oversight, just like getting stuck in these dispute points? Or is it like a problem with like cultural mentality, negligence, where, like I said, we'd rather ignore a problem than fix it because by acknowledging it, we're taking responsibility for it. So we'd rather not do that. And then when something goes wrong, figure out who we can point the finger at. But see, I mean, like, these residents had to take it upon themselves to take some action. We had some, some advocates, some, some community advocates that took it upon themselves to spearhead this thing. That, that's how the Virginia Tech study got done. That's how um, the noise was starting to be rattled. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if this happened in La Jolla? California. No, it would never happen in La Jolla. No, it would never happen. Because they're rich because and they white. Because they wouldn't even think about it. They're, because they're before, rich and white, Matt. Before, right, exactly. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Because before they even made the switch from river to river or from the Detroit water supply to the Flint River, 
Somebody would have got wind of that and known that this thing was messed up, and some big shot lawyer or freaking uh, uh, residential mogul or you know real estate mogul in freaking La Jolla would have been like, hell no, not in my freaking house, or you're going to expedite the freaking water treatment plant and make sure that that thing's good and the filters are on there and that, th that stuff's coming in not blue and yellow. So true, man. So true. And I just retread this for a moment. It's because they're rich in La Jolla. It's an added fact that La Jolla is like all white people. But the reason this is happening in Flint isn't because they're black, no. has been proposed. It's because they're poor. Yeah. It's a class thing. Right. This could happen to any poor community in the country, and that's is a that's a problem. With they don't have the means to be hurt. And that and that's the problem with racism is that if you look at it statistically, it would tend that these prevalent minority communities tend to have a higher element of poverty to them, so they're more at risk for the situation. That's the systematic racism. But it's not like oh, we need to like deregulate black people's water to hurt them. It's like we need to deregulate poor people's water because we don't care about them. Because we don't care about them. Yeah, it's not like actively looking to hurt people. It's more like actively looking for people to not care about. Them. Well, it's again, how can we trim the fat? Oh well, let's 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 place the burden on them, oh. on the poor people. Hey, usually even even the non-poor people, you know, the businessman's idea is let's make them pay the burden, which we'll get to in our next story actually exactly. right now. That's a perfect transition point actually. So. uh Let's talk about our second story. Why don't you give a little background? Uh, you know, I don't know what type of rundown you want to give on this, but you can kind of fill everyone in about the, the skeleton of the story. So they're, they're working with something. Well, we have another state of emergency on our hands. Woo woo! <laughs> this time, uh, it's uh, right outside the Porter Ranch neighborhood. It's a suburb of Los Angeles. It's in the northwest Los Angeles, uh, where we have a methane gas leak. Uh, which is billowing, billowing 150 million pounds of methane so far into the atmosphere. And when you see a video, the infrared video of this thing, it literally looks like a geyser. It, you might as well be looking at Old Faithful that doesn't stop. Yeah, it's not every like three hours. It's like every second. Right. And for you guys that don't know out there, methane gas is one of the biggest, biggest contributors to... Uh, global warming. Yeah, they it's, say, it's a serious problem. They say that it's 84 times more potent at trapping energy than carbon dioxide, and it has like a 12-year like dissolving half-life. So, I mean, it's definitely something that's not just like a minor cause for concern. They say this is like the biggest ecological crisis since the BP oil spill. Exactly, right? and there's so many similarities here. So many similarities here. We have something that's underground or underwater. It's very hard to get to. We can't stop the leak. And why can't? And why did the leak start in the first place? Because they took the safety valve off and they never replaced it. There's actually like some cheering to that. That's part of it, right? And I mean, it kind of goes back to an interesting thing. Our first story was kind of about how you know, like the state bureaucracy regulating resources can harm the public based on situations. Well, you've got a company now, SoCal Gas, a private company using, you know, in my opinion, public resources, mm -hmm. you know, a methane well, and it's a very unregulated industry. So like this well was drilled in 1953 and it's like the second largest natural gas deposit in the United States. Yeah. It was designed so long ago. It was before they had these new regulations where instead of having a single cement lining, you double cement line the well. So if there is a leak, it gets caught. But this is outdated private infrastructure. So like there's very little reason to update it because you're gonna basically be like, look, we don't know if this thing's gonna break, but it could in the next five years. 
So let's spend like $10 million fixing it now just in case. So all you're going to do is cost yourself money while not actually proving you're adding value. As a private company, that's going to affect your share price. So why do you have any incentive to do that? It's the right thing to do. It's for the public good. But you're not a bureaucracy. You can't have this excuse of like, you know, like that's our, that's our main goal. Your main goal is to make money. Right. As a business. I just don't like the gambling nature of that. You know, we're going to gamble with people's health and with people's lives. And we're just going to assume that everything's going to be hunky-dory, even though we're messing around with this very, very dangerous chemical. Yeah. Another thing people don't understand, too, is that, like, there's this presumption that methane gas, it's a natural gas, it's odorless, and it's harmless. But this isn't pure, raw methane gas. It's actually had a, a solvent added to it. I think I've got it here in my notes because they want you to be able to smell it in case there's a leak. Everyone knows like the smell of like, you know, you left the stove on, right? Right. Something like that. So it's supposed to still be non-toxic, but they add this uh, chemical. It's called a uh, Merc Captain. Is that right? Mercaptans. Right. Tough word to say. Sounds say? good to me. You guys so, look it up. So yeah, it's injected with trace <laughs> amounts and it's actually a sulfurous chemical. Which people are allergic to sulfur. They are. So you can actually have, it's, they call it acute chemical exposure, where it might be non-toxic, but there aren't studies to prove this because who's been exposed to this as a human for a long term mm -hmm. and massive amounts? No one. Why would we spend money? But n nobody's going to go through this test study. Hey, let's take these monkeys and just feed them methane gas for weeks on end and see how they do. We kind of know that's not going to be good for them. So they literally say, yeah, it's causing physiological response in residents. Like nosebleeds. People are saying nosebleeds, headaches. Oh dizziness, loss of balance and coordination. 2,200 families have actually already uh, right. already left the area and another four or 5,000 have filed for help. Yeah, so, I have up to seven. I have up to 7,000 that yeah, are still waiting the, to be relocated. So 2,200 plus the five, it's like over seven, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this isn't something where it's like, oh, you know, like it's hurting the environment, but like, you know, at least it's not hurting people. This is hurting everybody in every way, shape, and well, form. Well, let's get some timelines on this one, right? So on October 23rd, 2015, SoCal Gas inspected all the houses. They went house to house looking for this leak because this is when, right when this, the, the community started to have these problems, the headaches, the noxious fumes, the nosebleeds, etc. On the 23rd, they came in. They said there was no leak. So then it took a whole week. Then finally they said that there's a leak. A whole week went by. So they, they were denied, 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 denied. And officials are saying that, uh, uh, or, or city um, residents are saying that basically uh, for the first, you know, five weeks of this thing, um, the, the, the mayor and uh, or, uh, the governor and, and, and all the city officials were basically MIA. Not surprising. Not surprising at all, my friend. You know, just, it's the same type of thing, right? So basically, they're pointing the finger. We're trying to figure out how to wrestle with this as the um, community suffers. And here, no one's really at fault in this case because it's so unregulated. They weren't breaking any laws. Like, they, they didn't have a safety valve because it was removed. Not a law to have a safety valve. They, they didn't have the second, uh, the second well casing and the cemented, cemented casing. Well, it was built before 1953. Grandfathered in. Don't Gra got to do it. Grandfathered in. Didn't have it. And guess what? It's 50 years old. We're not paying to update it right now. What actually happened was, and this is where we're talking about how they try to pass the costs on, whether it's the government or a private entity. You can't just raise the price of like something that's uh, you know, considered a state or a federal-owned resource. You actually have to have regulators approve 
your price raise. You got to prove my costs have gone up, so I need to pass that on because they want to make sure you're not gouging consumers. You know, they want you to make money, but they're like, listen, if we're going to let private industry run this gas, right. we can't let them just do whatever they want. They could right. monopolize it and say, hey, it's going to be a hundred times what it should yeah, be. Yeah, people need this stuff to survive in their homes. They heat their yeah. houses with it. They use it to cook. Until, they do all this until stuff we can water. replace fossil fuels with clean energy sources, this is what we we're have to We're going to be dependent on these large companies to, to deliver with. it to us. Exactly. So they actually saw it in 2014, which was uh, like a little year and a half before this happened. They sought permission from the state to raise rates. It was supposed to be $30 million in order to fund a proactive inspection and uh, maintenance program. So basically, they, they want to raise $30 million by raising prices so that they could do their job mm -hmm. in keeping their equipment safe and up to date. Mm -hmm. They weren't like, we're going to spend our own $30 million. We want to raise the cost so you yeah. can pass, pay for this. Pass it on the consumer. They'll only do something about this if the state permits them to price gouge the public. So they're asking you, you're, they're asking your elected officials, essentially, to say, hey, the people who put you in power, we need you guys to agree to screw yourselves in order to us to do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's so crazy how tiered that gets in terms of thinking that literally we'll only do the thing to keep you safe if you agree to pay for it. Right. But you're the ones who are allowing us to do this. Yeah. Why aren't these laws it being passed? Like it sounds like somebody's holding somebody hostage. They were. They were. And there are a lot of changes coming up. Uh, you know, like this is obviously kind of blown up because this is like... Oh, I, yeah. They just tore the freaking roof be, off be, this be, Because this is L.A., you know, this story, it, October 20... It's crazy because it's been going since October 23rd. So it's been leaking methane for three months. Yeah. And let's talk about real quick how much methane. So 25% of the daily greenhouse gas emissions of California is what this thing is leaking by itself. It's, a, it's equivalent to 160,000 cars for a year or consuming 90 million gallons of gasoline. Yeah, my statistic I read was they said it's so far total 73,000 metric tons of methane. Uh, it's the equivalent of 6 million metric tons of CO2 which to put it in like you know layman's terms it's the equivalent of having seven million more cards on the road every day every day seven million that's not an insignificant number that will turn your city into downtown beijing or shanghai very quickly very quickly so there's some other and impacts. and if you guys all don't know a little bit about the la area um and everybody has heard about smog and everything that about los angeles well the way it sits um you know those mountains keep that 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 gas and and, and that pollution in that area, um, so it's very very uh, prone to having um, having these issues um, and these and these and these polluted air days uh, where air quality is is not so good. Now they've cleaned it up a lot over the last twenty years, but uh, LA has had this historical problem um, of having polluted air because the, it can't escape because it's surrounded on mountains on all sides. And depending on which way the wind blows, if the Santa Ana's are coming or if it's blowing off the ocean, uh, depends on whether or not, uh, that stuff actually gets stuck and, uh, and stays there for quite some time. So, you know, we have, uh, and I don't know if, and I don't know if methane is, is a heavy enough, uh, or, or does pollute in, in such a manner that, that, that sits and causes that, uh, that smog type atmosphere, uh, but I could imagine it does after looking at places like Beijing and some of those other places that have a huge amount of pollution due to uh, automobiles. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't think you ever think long term like something's gonna go wrong. You just assume that you know you'll always fix it in advance. Proactive maintenance passed on to the taxpayer, of course. Amen. So, in researching this, I found out some crazy stuff that could scare you that we talked about earlier. Could I'm it, freaking terrified. What the hell's scare going on? You, in San scare Diego? you even more. <laughs> okay, uh, check this out. Nearly forty percent of pipes in the SoCal gas jurisdiction, which is a large chunk of Southern California. They're over 50 years old. And this isn't the only leak. It's just a big leak. There's lots of little leaks everywhere. But nearly 40% of the pipes are over 50 years old, which means the majority of them were built and put in place before any modern regulations were existing about, you know, how many casings of cement you need on them, shutoff valves, things like that. So for like the first time ever this year because of this, the EPA introduced national standards to regulate methane emissions. Only problem is... It only applies to facilities built in the future. It doesn't <laughs> apply to existing facilities because that would like bankrupt that industry where they didn't get the money to update everything. So the only way they could pass this law is by applying it to future ones being built. This really just shows me how critical it is we get off fossil fuels in general because it's impossible to make this transition in like a timely manner. If you do it at like, you know, the private company's behest. Oh, it's going to take forever. They want. It's going to take more money because what does SoCal Gas have invested in us using clean energy sources? Yeah. They're just going to tell us that natural gas is the cleanest energy source. But they've actually proven with experts that you need to have less than 3% leakage in the production process or any environmental gains are offset. So one incident like this completely offsets the last 10 years of using yeah, natural gas in terms of like this is safer for the environment. No. It isn't. Well, this thing is going to take months to fix. I mean, they're calling right now three to four months, maybe six to fix this thing. Yeah, I actually read that they said March at the earliest, even though they've been, you know, they're working 24 hours a day and they've been at this for three months. So it's going to be like six months. So it's going to double the amount of, uh, you know, gas released in order to, to stop it. Uh, in the meantime, see, but it, see what goes on here, folks. Here, here's the deal. If these people were proactive and had some preventative maintenance going on and updating their systems instead of just cashing in year after year with these profits of whatever they're making for delivering, you know, your necessary, uh, you know, tools and, 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 and energy to your house. We wouldn't be in this situation, like Devin said, that, that most of the uh, that their pipes are, 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 are more are more than 50 years old. Right. Is that what you said? It's a forty percent of the ones for SoCal gas in 40%. Southern California. Forty percent are over fifty years right. old. Right. So, and maybe that other sixty percent uh, they were uh, fixing as they go along and updating it. But I doubt it. I would say that most of it is um, for because of new production and just the boom of people moving to the Southern California area over that period of time. And that's where that other sixty percent comes from, or at least the majority of it. That's just my opinion. Um, somebody want to fact check me on that? That's fine. Um, but I think that I'm pretty accurate. One of our six fans, fact check them. Fact right, check right that. now, right now. So a few last things to touch on is it again shows you too how like behind the scenes, one thing's happening while in the public another is because SoCal Gas when they first found out about this leak, immediately told the state. They actually followed procedure. They're like, we know there's a leak. We're going to tell the state. Didn't tell the public for weeks. They actually made seven attempts to kill the leak, and each of the attempts made the leak even worse. It widened the breach because they're like, you know, we'll let the state know, and hopefully we can fix this before the public finds out because then that'll look really bad for our company. So, you know, they can't stop the leak. They essentially need to drill 
relative wells they're called it's like a well next to the well right they need to drill 8500 feet it's a deep well yep. they're only at 4000 that's why this could take another three months like this is a long long process so uh, about two weeks ago exactly january 6th governor brown declared a state of emergency for porter ranch another state of emergency the faa ordered a no-fly zone over the city actually did you know that fact i did not yeah so it's like this is not safe this is dangerous wow. it's hazardous to fly over this god dang really yep really so you know this brings a lot of stuff into question like what responsibility does a private company have to let the public know about you know a potential health hazard because that's the thing they're like well methane gas is harmless there's no studies proving it so why should we have to tell the public mm. it's like yeah you should definitely have to tell the public if there's a problem just because it's a potential problem but that could affect the stock prices and send this and the shareholder. We need to be less concerned with the shareholder and more concerned with the human. With welfare. And that's a big problem when you allow like the production and uh, service of natural resources to be controlled by a private company. Because the state, like in the first issue, they have actually no interest really in you know just making money. They actually need to save money in the case of the first story. The second issue, it's like this company is out to make money. The safety is always going to take a backpack issue to that. So it's where's your priorities at in this process? If the state was in control of this, would it be better? Maybe not. Maybe it could be like the first story. Well, it like could be Flint. mismanaged, right? You know what I mean? It can be mismanaged. So there is no true fix for this except like more transparency. My, my at, at any level, whether it's private or whether it's governmental, right. we need more transparency when it comes to public health issues. And the fact is, is that we really just need regulators to do their jobs, right? But Or in this, or have not have people lobby or whatever happened to not have safety valves and these things in place as we learn, as we have better engineering technology and we can uh, have some fail uh, safe type of, of, of apparatuses installed in these things. We need to do that. Right, and that's what the company needs to do. That's where they're at fault. I always think that a private company uh, will be able to run it better than a state bureaucracy. Well, they're running to make money. Right, so they do run optimally or whatever, but they have. So, well, I think that, that, that also means they cut costs on, exactly, sa on safety but, and maintenance. And that's the problem, right? They need to they need to be forward and put the safety first, the profit second. Um, and you can still make a pretty penny on delivering. Look, I understand that everybody needs to make money and um, that they need to um, make money because they are providing you a service. They are getting it to you. They are drilling to get this stuff and to get to you. But that's for right now. The fact of the matter is, like Devin said, we need to be on clean energy and we need to move off of it very, very – off the fossil fuels very, very quickly. Well, that's the thing. Natural gas has been sold to us as a clean, air quotes, energy source. Just like, like clean coal. just like milk's been sold to you as doing a body good, even <laughs> though milk is essentially condensed fat and sugar right. and dairy product, which is not good for you in any way. But if you repeat something enough ad nauseum and people will start to repeat it themselves, it becomes a perceived truth. So the truth of the matter is that natural gas isn't really clean or safe because it's so weakly regulated and there's a lot of dangerous production techniques that it's been disvalued as a clean energy source in my opinion because you essentially have this division of uh, I think they're called the oil gas geothermal resources division mm -hmm. they regulate drilling and the operations of gas and wells well they have super outdated standards when it comes to safety practices uh, the inspections they run very minimal the oversight they have very minimal 
Well, why is that? It's because, because that somebody in these divisions works hand in hand with the private companies. Some wheels are getting greased somewhere where they're saying, hey, we don't need more inspections. Here's the brown paper bag. Have a nice day. You come by once a year. You do the most basic of tests. Every, every, everyone gets their money. You maybe get a promotion or a raise. Yeah. No one's the wiser. Yeah. You're That's doing the, so good. You're you know as long as nothing goes wrong, you're you're sitting you're sitting pretty in your job. Why rock the boat? Everything's going fine. We got this little we got this little inside baseball going on. And uh, you know I'm going to retire with my pension from the government in 30 years or whatever. And no big deal. Like classic, you know, like again, like the first story, American mentality to how to approach a problem. You know, you walk towards a cliff and you don't start looking around for where your feet should be until you feel a strong breeze blowing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like literally when it's about to hit the fan, that's when you want to do something about it, even though you can see the shit in midair from miles away coming at your face. Uh -huh. So like California lawmakers, they've proposed new, very stringent safety regulations. Excellent. And they're going to require shutoff valves and old gas door dwells. Imagine that. And they're going to require continuous air monitoring for methane leaks. It's like, well, that's awesome. Shouldn't that have been in the first place? Yeah, no kidding. A safety valve. Yeah. What's and, like? and monitoring the air. Like, mm. we, have, we have to make these laws in order for a private company to want to do this. Because if you said you didn't have to have a safety valve and you didn't have to monitor the air, they wouldn't have a safety valve. They'd do it at the bare minimum where they'd be worried about it affecting their PR, about the perception of how safe their company Just is. Just like why they told the state and didn't tell the public. You know what I mean? Like that's how much they'll spend on safety, as much as PR deems is necessary to have them perceived as being safe. So they'll tell you it's safe and they'll have ads about it being safe and they'll put out these studies about being safe, but in terms of actually regulating and maintaining, there's nothing safe about it. Right. And they've kept it that way because that's where the costs are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on the back end. So Governor Brown, he also uh, issued an emergency order where he mandated uh, a lot of updates to inspection and verification processes on the wells. So now there's this huge, basically, you know, backlash coming at the natural gas industry that they're going to have to deal with, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, like I said earlier, this just shows me how critical it is we figure out how to transition faster to real, true, clean energy sources solar, wind, things that we know do not have any negative consequences whatsoever, except for the fact that they do, because producing those solar panels in China, mm -hmm. from what I've read, that isn't so good for you either. Probably not. You know, and, and, not. and but and, in the long term, and if you make if, if you make a fan like I saw in sixty minutes, a lot of times the Chinese will just steal it and make it their own wind turbine. You catch that story? No. Oh, crazy sixty minute story. I forget the name of the company, but they make like super turbine conductors. And they had a contract with China to be their like main source of wind power. But so like they didn't want China to steal their stuff. They put some special software on it so that you couldn't run it without their software. Well, basically, one of their guys in their company, one of their engineers, he got paid off by these Chinese officials to leak him the software. They sold these turbines, the Chinese government, to municipalities in the United States. So they took like this guy's like product, operates wow. out of the United States, the American company. They reverse engineered it and stole, stole it, and then they sold it back to the United States, <laughs> their government. So it's like operating as like a civil municipality, generating you know right. wind. Literally, I think it's in Connecticut. They said it was like 25 miles from the company that stole it. Oh. The Chinese had sold it back to the city. <laughs> Like the, it's like my stolen shit's being working right up the street there. Yikes, yikes. So, so even when you think it's clean solar right. or uh, right. or wind, 
there's something dirty going on there too. For always. sure, for sure. I mean, it's just like the Priuses and the batteries for these cars and stuff like that, right? We gotta, we gotta make it somehow, some way. Um, you know, but one of the things that you that you just touched on it, and it made me think as well. You know, now you have this backlash. You have all these regulations being um, placed on the natural gas industry in California, and you're gonna, they're gonna again incur all these costs to fix this right now, right? Instead of being able to spread that cost out over time. Namely, the last 50 years that we just talked about, with the uh, with the 40 percent of the, uh, the the piping um, being uh, being outdated, if they were just doing this, they could have spread that cost out over time, and they could have absorbed it a lot easier. Right now, they're going to throw their hands up in the air and they're going to be pissed off about all this regulation. But if they would have just been proactive about it over the time, they would have never even seen it. Yes, where their profits have been, you know, uh, slightly, the margins have been slightly lower. Yeah. But you know what? Now, spreading out over 50 years sounds a lot better than being saying asked to retrofit all of this stuff immediately. What's important is nobody's to blame. Nobody lost their job. Nobody's going to jail. Nobody's going to jail. Nope. Nobody's even getting fined. Nope. It was all just a big bureaucratic privatized mishap due to the other guy's fault, but we're working 24 hours to make it right and we're going to have these new laws in place, so don't you worry about it. Just look the other way. It was just an accident. Keep on eating your double quarter pounder How could anybody cheese. foresee this happening? Watching inside the NFL. How would we to know? Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, you know, uh, 2016, a year where, you know, I hope there's big things ahead, where big things of positivity, you know, good things are going to be coming. So uh, we need to make that happen. As we see in Flint, it was the activists who made this happen. Exactly. It was the public outcry when finding out about this that made Governor Brown issue these emergency orders for more regulation. You know, it's not until we care about it that the people we put in charge are going to care about it. But we have to care about it. Just like we ask the companies to care about it, we have to care about it in order to force them to care about it. And we don't just have to care about it a little. We have to care about it enough to make them care about it. Exactly. So it's not enough to whine about it. You got to do something. You know, it's like famously like uh, the Black Panther Party, they did it best. You know, civil rights wasn't doing that great. They'd literally been trying to get, you know, equality for a long time and running into a lot of stop gaps. And when the Black Panther movement started, they were like, you know what? We're not going to do this wait and see. You'll give us equality when you want it. We're going to start making you take it. So when they first found it, I remember they famously showed up at the, uh, I don't know if it was City Hall. No, it was State Capitol. The State Capitol. They all showed up Shotgun. strapped up. <laughs> Guess what? When 500 angry black men with guns show up to the State Capitol, everybody starts paying attention. Yes. When, when you do a, a protest with picket signs, down a sturdy block in a corner, it's easy for them to hit you with a fire hose and throw you in a paddy wagon and everyone looks the other way because it's state-run media and you know there's no TV, phones, internet, all this stuff. Very easy to throw you behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You go to state capitol with 500 angry black men with guns, everyone stopped what they were doing and within a couple of years change happened. So I'm not saying we all need to be at the state capitol. It was with a bloody, bloody battle but it, it changed. Yeah, I'm not saying we all need to be at the state capitol with guns. But we need to have that type of mentality where it's like, what are we willing to do in order to get something done? We need to figure out how drastic a measure we need to take in order to get a reaction and then take that measure. Because if we don't, they're going to keep twiddling their thumbs. The next time it could be your community. Yeah, twiddling their thumbs, pointing their finger, and tell it's your community. Right now it's Flint. Tomorrow San Diego. Right now LA. It's yeah. got a geyser full of methane. And this is the United States of America. If we really are, we need to care about every city, 
every state, every part of the country, because we don't really feel like every we, human being, every human being. I mean, we should care about everyone in the world, but we need to start taking care of our own first and foremost before we can take care of anyone else. You know, a, a dying, a dying man get, it shouldn't be stopping another guy's bleeding. Mm -hmm. exactly. You know what I, you know what I mean? Exactly. You, you got, you got to save yourself so you, so you can save somebody else. That's the logical thinking. So it doesn't feel like the United States to me at times. We get very detached where if you don't live in that city or state or municipality or even region of the country, you kind of just don't care about it. So we really need to get more engaged, you know, not like just this local community. You only care about the people in your vicinity. We need to get more connected with this entire country and helping each other out on just like this global scale, like you said. It's, we're in this together as humans, not as, you know, Flintonians or San Diegans or Californians or Americans. Flintstonians? Flintonians. Ah, there you go. Flintstonians, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I think that we tackled tackled both of these topics. I hope everybody listening, all six of you. Uh, oh, we tackled the shit out of them. This was an illegal hit. Crown of the helmet to the chin. Clean, a, clean knockout. But as we learned for the Steelers, that's not a penalty. Right, right. It's a little bit more informed. I, I hope that people feel a little bit more informed about what's going on. You know, we really tried to condense. We, we, we aggregated a lot of information and just shoved it through the microphone today. You know, I, I was really interesting talking about this with you, Matt. I learned a lot. I hope you did too because... I did. You know, you, you actually told me about this methane story. I, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't read about it. And once I started to go down the rabbit hole... It's amazing how much you learn and can read. So I mean, alone. hopefully like just some of these facts or some of this conversation will get you interested in just, you know, when you, when you hear something that seems off or you see an interesting story, you care enough to read about it. And then when you're upset, do something about it. Have a reaction. Even if that reaction is just talking to other people about it, that's what it's going to take at the base level to make change happen is to get people to care about these issues again and want to talk about them, not just superficial bullshit. So be engaged, care about your community, make moves, Material Devolution 2016. I'm dropping the mic, Matt. You got anything for me? I have nothing after that. Much love, ladies Mike and gentlemen. Dropped. Peace out. <laughs>